All right. What's up, everybody? We are on episode 18 of In the Weeds and a very special guest, a longtime friend and a guy who I think I put this, the word out to a couple months ago. Um, he doesn't, you do not live here, but I said, when you are here, uh, whatever I have to do, I got to get you on here, get you talking because you are a perfect guest for us. Ryan Anderson in town, breaking vacation, spending some time with us. Always as usual. Thank you for yeah. making the time. Good to be here. Thanks for having me, man. Sweet. We had a we had a just a little mini podcast of our own right before we got started, <laughs> but I have a ton of stuff to dive in with you. We, we we have the luxury, which I don't with everybody that comes on, of of a lot of years of knowing each other. Um, you know, going through a lot of different times in life, different positions in life. Um, but I've always looked at you as a close friend. It's always good catching up. And and honestly, as I was driving over here, I was trying to remember the where we first where we first met. And I think it was when you were um, training for the, or you're training for the academy or in the academy because it was through, through Sean, wasn't it? Yeah, it was definitely through Sean. Yeah. It was when we were living in in uh, the house in Old Town Scottsdale. Um, he just got out of college and you you guys were like very, very, very um, disciplined training. And, and you were like going to the station, doing all your shifts to get in yeah. the academy. Wasn't that right? Yeah, I sort of met Sean doing ride-alongs at Station 7 and we hit it off pretty quickly and had a similar work ethic, similar, similar age, <clears throat> similar demographic of where we came from and all that. So mm-hmm. yeah, we worked together a little bit to get hired and then we started hanging out off duty. And so how, how many years ago was that? Almost 16 years ago. Shit. Actually for you, for that, it would have been uh, 14 because I had two years with another department. So that's right. Where were you working before? Sun Lakes. It's a little tiny, oh, okay. I yeah, remember. A little tiny department. So. so you now have 14 years with Phoenix Fire? Yeah feels like five yeah you know, that's so crazy to say now. yeah that's i mean that's approaching the isn't the retirement mark technically is, is 20 yeah for a pension 20 years is a, where you can start you can leave if you want but. jesus man you yeah, gotta we'll see you, you gotta have a world of stories so um we, all, we always try to go back even even further than that and and i don't know you know where you grew up um i i, I feel mm-hmm. like i remember you were an arizona guy and you know we've covered a lot of this but in in our now 14 years of knowing each other. We've covered a lot of other ground. So were, were you originally born and raised in Arizona? Uh, born in Tucson. Lived there until I was 15. Then I moved to Sierra Vista, which is a small town in southern Arizona. Did high school there. Moved to Flagstaff for some college. Uh, just fucked around up there for a little while. Had some fun. But then I realized they didn't have a good fire science program there. So I chose Phoenix. I heard they had a good fire department. So mm. moved to the valley. Uh, started testing right away and got hired really young and sort of stuck around Phoenix for that reason. Yeah, how young were you? 23. Oh, shit, that is young. Yeah. Did you, when you were, I mean, in the high school years, college years, was it always a plan, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, that's where I'm going is into fire? Not right away. I didn't really realize I wanted to do it until I was 19, and uh, I saw some guys doing it, and I thought, man, that's pretty cool. I was either going to go to the Marine Corps. Mm. I was sort of unsure at that time. I knew I wanted to do something physical. I knew I wanted to help people. I knew I sort of handled adrenaline really well. So that was sort of something that seemed to fit me was to do something like military or fire. I used to think like go SWAT that route, but then I realized you had to be a a city cop for a long period of time, things like that. So I thought that didn't quite fit me. Mm. Um, But anyway, yeah, I I think I knew it around 19. Okay. And so I started getting my mindset for that. Yeah. That's cool. You you didn't have family who were on fire, did you? No family, no real influences. I never really grew up thinking I was going to do it. But once I started like doing the the training and stuff, I thought this is awesome. So, and, but and, you know, it's been almost sixteen years, so it's 
my mind's changed so much. It's like eight years in, I started to find all these other incredible interests outside of fire, but mm -hmm. I've stayed passionate about firefighting, but I found all these other passions inside of it. And <clears throat> totally. It supported me with a whole different lifestyle that I could have never had. Like I get to read all the time. I get to travel. I get to learn a bunch of different things. So Yeah, because you guys <clears throat> have a, isn't each department's, you work the same amount of days a month, but the way your shifts work is different, right? Yeah, we do one on, two off, 24 hours on, 48 hours off. Okay. So sleep deprivation can be a little bit of an ass kicker. Yeah. Uh, but I've learned how to balance that pretty well. A lot of guys, you know, they have families and kids, and they've got to work. Yeah. They've got to work a lot of overtime, and so there's a lot of guys that are getting really pounded with sleep deprivation, and I've, that can I've, take its toll over the years. Yeah, I've had. So. Some, there's some buddies that I know that I still talk to back there who now have kids and. And they actually joke the opposite. They say, you know, I get my sleep when I'm at the station because when I'm at home, especially with a newborn oh, man. or a couple, that, yeah, they're like, I get true. my sleep here. Yeah, but that's got to be hard. That's but, an adjustment. Yeah. So so is it like, uh, I mean, imagine with any job or even like sports, when you were the first years in to now 16 years in, the the learning curve and, and you're just total headspace with, with the job and how you perform the job. Um, is it, is it a situation you look back when you first started like, man, I can't believe I was doing that. Or man, I've learned so much or, uh, like things were harder than now are easier for you. Hmm. Yeah. I, let's see. I don't know. It seems like the job, the most thing that I can say when you, when you say that, it's like, uh, I think I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And I don't think most people do. Like I didn't do very many ride alongs, So I didn't know mm. I was going to see a bunch of trauma. Mm. And I didn't know I was going to see a bunch of, you know, babies being killed or, you know, you see so much crazy stuff that you don't realize um, what you're getting yourself into at 19 years old. Yeah. Uh, so you learn how to deal with that and you learn how to cope with that. And everybody has their different ways and different tools that they use. And mm -hmm. throughout the years, I found different ways to, to cope with that in a pretty healthy, balanced way. And I think that that's helped me to be healthy, happy, balanced, strong, capable of serving. Totally. Uh, all that stuff. And uh, mental health became a pretty acute awareness of mine about five, six, seven years in, you start to see guys and you start to get to know them because you spend a third of your life with them. And you start to see that mental health isn't only the thing that you do most for service. Like the people we go mm -hmm. on, it's a huge mental health crisis out there, whether it be addiction to drugs or all those things stem from mental health issues in our yeah. country. And there's an obvious epidemic, but the people you work with too um, have their own issues. There's a lot of guys on the job that have to you know, they don't have the tools or techniques to deal with that in a healthy way, maybe. And sure. so I came aware of that pretty quickly, and I started to go, man, I better take care of myself and learn how to stay healthy over the years. And that's become something I've been somewhat passionate about, you know. Yeah. So mental health, balance, uh, staying fit for service type stuff. And it's all mental, physical, spiritual stuff. And it all sort of encompasses being able to, to add value to the community or to the people around you and to your friends. Totally. Not sort of getting eaten alive by the mental stress of the job. And it's not just that job. I'm not a victim of it, but there's obvious stressors with that job and with many other jobs out there. Yeah, it, it's it's really interesting because a couple episodes ago, we had a guy on who um, he did a charity run across the country. And it was for, he was raising money for uh, a military veteran suicide awareness. Mm -hmm. And we were talking, I actually brought up the fact that uh, I, I found a weird... Uh, uh, similarity that he was saying just that he's like a lot of these young kids who are going over to war 19 20 21 year olds they're they're not prepared for it and i even said too man i'm 35 i, I wouldn't be prepared right now either right. i don't, I don't think there is an age prepare. that you're prepared yeah. until you actually go then that's when you really can start your preparing mm -hmm. um 
but he was he was trying to shed a little bit more light behind creating more of a mandatory process for like discharging them when they get back. Mm. Uh, and, and, and I feel like there's similarities with uh, military and the fire department that you can definitely chime in and tell me otherwise uh, that there's almost like a bravado with the military that when I come back, like or not, I'll just muscle through it. Like mm. even if I have some demons going sure. on, I'll just muscle through it. And if right. I do anything that's uh, you know, that's considered like therapy or psychology or that, well, that's, that's for sissies, you know, like that right. type of talk. Sure. Where these kids are, and and he he uh, on his run, he stopped in Texas and he spoke with a mom who who her son came back and she he killed himself. He was young and he and he saw a lot of shit over. And I think it was sure. Iraq or somewhere, um, and just couldn't cope with it coming back, but never really had that outlet. And and I said something along the lines of, him, "I'm like, well, George, I go, I think there's other industries and careers." who would probably benefit from having some sort of, if the word's mandatory, if that's even right, because that sounds a little intimidating to someone taking it on. But where it's part of the the job is, you know, you just just to check in. Sure. Just to check in where you are, because I, I feel like that's hard if you have a family and wife and kids. You don't really bring a lot of that home to to wife and kids because that's yeah that's a part of the job that you know it, it kind of is close to you and and sharing that with a wife yeah. or a kids that's that's intense mm-hmm. but i think it would do i and i and i want to say we even talked about this when i was in town last year and we were talking over there the bar at the bar crawl and i said i feel like that would be such a great uh if there's one person i could i could pin that would be a great person to kind of spearhead that would be you because you have you've gotten a grasp over your mental health um better than most people, firefighter or not firefighter, that I, I, I would say the majority case of guys who are in your profession um, mm. are, the, are the opposite, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that a lot of the military guys, did you ever read the book Tribe by Sebastian Younger? Mm-mm. It's an interesting book, but it's a small little read, and it talks a lot about he would go into these war zones as a photographer, a videographer, and he'd sort of film some famous documentaries that are out there on these crazy war zones. And he would talk about the um, post-traumatic stress these guys when they would come back and go home to their wives and their families and a lot of the stress actually ends up being from trying to integrate back into a normal supposed normal culture Mm. and not being able to relate to those people because they're complaining about the wi-fi or the temperature of the room or whatever Mm -hmm. because they live in this sort of you know illusionary bubble that's not real this Mm -hmm. temporary little safe space throughout time and space of history that is very temporary history is filled with blood and terrible you know terrible things and yeah, yeah. these guys go to these war zones and they feel the most alive that they've ever felt they have this camaraderie they have meaning they're sort of fighting this you know this battle mm-hmm. and so they feel the most alive and the most healthy actually when they're in the war zones and when they're you know de- you know deported so when they get back it's just chaos for them to like try to squeeze themselves back into the matrix yeah yeah and so that i think is where the mental health stuff is is hard is when you can't relate to people so you don't feel like the average person can understand you. And I think, you know, police, fire, military guys, it's very common for the same thing. So that's why a lot of firemen hang out together and they can have that sort of weird sense of humor about something that's really traumatic because mm. it's like a sailor mindset. It sort of keeps you strong and hard. But, yeah, there's not in our culture and in the military culture that um, okayness with mm. soft stuff, the meditation, the mindfulness, the floating, the mm-hmm. anything you use as a tool plant medicines. I mean, you can name, go down the list of all the things that have been proven to sort of show good results. They're not quite yet culturally ready yeah. for our for our time. In 20 years, it'll probably just be slowly showing that yeah. the science works and it'll be like, oh, cool. Maybe once a year you go do this, this or this, or building these healthy habits actually work. But yeah, at our culture, it's sort of like just blow it off and move on through the day. And 
Yeah, you, yeah. you can build up over time, you know, especially for on my truck. I have a brand new guy. He doesn't even have a full year on and he just saw his first drowning. And uh, that's a tough call. Yeah. And it, no matter who you are and if you have kids or not, for guys that have kids, it's a really tough call. But for him, I'm trying to help him to understand like, hey, man, go home tomorrow and process that. Like mm -hmm. actually spend some time and feel what that feels like. It's OK to feel the pain of that call and that scene and that mom and that dad and whatever it was. And process it because if you just bury it and compartmentalize it, which is an actual useful tool mm -hmm. when you're when you're actually performing, because when you go into a stressful scene, you have to sort of turn yeah. all that off, function, serve, and then afterward, it just, it's still in your heart. You know, it's still in your body. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important for these younger guys, especially, to learn healthy habits to to process that and integrate that, and yeah, be ready for the next one and know that you're gonna, you know over time have a bunch more that's interesting <laughs> do you do you think you have a similar when you say the adjustment for guys who are coming back from like war being de deported um is that the right word being uh i don't know what the when they go off to to war mm -hmm. um do you feel similar <laughs> i guess emotions coming out of each shift like when you have 24 hours and it's a really intense shift like coming off of of that shift where you, you're going to drowning, is it a similar like adjusting back or was it, there back in the day when you were? I think it actually builds up over time. It's not something like when you get off a really hard shift, it can be, you know, sort of tiring or whatnot. But most guys, like even including myself, I'll go hit a trail and hike or mm. get some sunshine, do some things. But it's more like 10 years down the road, you know, all that stuff's in there and you don't think about it. At least I don't. I don't swim in my past. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you spend the time and you actually go into – your, your subconscious and you spend some time doing some different techniques or practices, you can actually see that there's a lot of trauma in there. Yeah. And it's not easy to face those traumas and it's not easy to process those emotions and those experiences. But if you don't, you can build up a lot of pressure. And, you know, that's when people sort of have those divorces or alcoholism or you name it, whatever the thing is that they use to sort of avoid the pain, even though you don't think you're having pain. I mean, every human being, even if you're working at Bank of America, that would be far more devastating to me to sit in an office all day, 40 hours a week and be dealing with sort of a corporate job mm -hmm. and then to go home and to just be stuck in some sort of rat race. Mm -hmm. That would be just as terrible, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, so I don't think anybody has it figured out as far as handling mental health. And I don't think anybody gets away with, with a little bit less or more than anyone else. I think we're all human beings and we're all going to have to process life in a yeah. different way. Yeah, And so anyway, I just think it's important to have healthy habits and to have good measures to sort of keep your mind and body balanced totally. and to, to not avoid those deep, weird, painful things. Was there, was there a point that you would, like a specific point in your career uh, on the job that you would pinpoint as, uh, like, call it the aha moment, where you, where you realized that or something you did or, or you really embraced yeah. making that part of your like daily? Yeah, um, mine didn't come in one moment, but man, I remember about eight years into the job. So I was about, I think I was around 29 years old and I had an aha moment period. And I think a lot of human beings throughout history go through that sort of waking up from the matrix moment of like, whoa, sleepwalking or in the dream and you're sleeping yeah. and then you wake up and you're lucid in the dream. And I had it happen on accident. I sort of went on a field trip to go float. I heard about this float tank thing. And that's when I think I had sort of just started yeah. to mention it to you and you're like oh what is this thing and yeah so anyway i just went on a field to try to flow it out and i'd never meditated before i didn't really know anything about meditation so i hop in this thing and i realized real quickly how busy my mind was and it was like somebody took a 
volume to my internal dialogue. And I didn't even know I had an internal dialogue. Mm -hmm. I didn't know I had this sort of speedy internal chat going on. And everybody does. Mm -hmm. So for the first time in my life, I was like, whoa, man, I'm busy in here and I need to get out of here. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I sat through it and I got out of there and I had a whole bunch to write down because I'm like, this was interesting. So I went back, I went back. And I would even question myself driving to that place. I'd be like, what the fuck am I doing driving mm -hmm. to this float center, paying money to lay in some bubble? That's freaking weird. Yeah. But I got so much out of it because I didn't know how other than that to just be still with myself. I didn't mm -hmm. know that people for thousands of years had practices that evolved from that, from stillness. Mm -hmm. and so that was my introduction to meditation, which now I can do without a float tank. But it was such a cool shortcut for me to start seeing the subconscious yeah, and the consciousness and just exploring how I think and why I think the way that I think. And I think it's become an obsession to the degree that I see culture right now, all cultures and all cultures that have ever been as uh, sort of an operating system. And that when you're born, you have not a blank slate because that was an old theory that you come in with all this old hardware. And so you have all this stuff running your system, which is very useful and it's intelligent but you also have a lot of programs from your teachers and your parents and all the experiences that you've had, which have shaped how you think and who you identify yourself with. Mm -hmm. And so you have this sort of internal dialogue and this narrative running, and you've identified with it as yourself, and it's not you. Mm -hmm. And so it's very fragile. And so when you start to look at it really deeply in a float tank or in a mindfulness practice or in a breathwork practice or whatever you do to sort of take a gander at it, it's terrifying, right? Because it's like, holy shit, that's fragile, and it can all be thrown away like right now. And mm -hmm. so that was my aha moment was starting to recognize the narrative structure that was running in my mind. Mm -hmm. And then I, the fact that I could shape it and change it and relate to myself differently and relate to the world differently and choose what books I read and choose what people I hang out with and start to program my own operating system. That was fascinating. Totally. And it still is. And it's become something that I'm, I'm interested in. That's what I do now. It's sort of like try to unlearn things and learn things that I want to do, learn things that are more useful and more advantageous and, you, so, I mean, uh, you single-handedly were the reason I, when I first floated, because you got you were big into. I want to say one of the times you were visiting here a long time ago, mm -hmm. you even seeked out a. I think yeah, it was a pretty I was janky open float, a float center. Yeah, it's know? it's funny we've talked about that too. Opening like a, a recovery center mm -hmm. or, or something that basically shrinks down all the stuff because we've gotten a lot more, um, big into body recovery. You know, between I know you also you do the cold baths, cold plunges. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm missing so badly the sauna right now. Um, but I, I float to all the stuff that like, uh, that is just as important as the physical exercise. Mm -hmm. Like, man, what if there was a place where I could pay a membership and I can go in, I could sit in the jacuzzi, pop right oh, out, yeah. then I could go over here, get a pulse treatment, then I could pop out. I, I would Saturday, that'd be my Saturday sure. night. I'd be like, Do it once I'll, a week, I'll be right? back in a couple hours and I'm going to go. Almost like hit a cryo. spa in LA, something like that yeah. with more things that we're talking about yeah and i think it's becoming a lot more popular but going up what you're saying too is because i'm so big on um i feel like when we were like when we were kids is when we were absolutely the freest and for a lot of reasons and i actually was just reading something the other day that that pointed out well a big part of it too is as a kid you're not thinking about your your future like right now we stress about our future yeah but then the equal stressor and the anxiety driver is we think about our past so right. you're doing both when i was when you're a kid no you were thinking about what time recess was. Yeah. You were thinking about like, so you were free in that space. But then a couple of years ago, I, I was writing about this. And I said, I also think that 
we're this kid on this playground and we have our walls being built by the people around us. Yeah. Our parents build certain walls and they're doing their best job, but they also have some outdated or like their traditional mm-hmm. mindset of what you should and should not do. Yeah. Your teachers are, your peers are, and and sooner than later, and, and I, I was writing this specifically because I felt like I was at a point where I felt very free. I'm an entrepreneur, what I was doing. But I felt like I was just, all I was doing was expanding the walls, you know, instead right. of like breaking them down. I was like, okay, I just, now I have a bigger box to play in. Like, sure. no, 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 I want to break the walls down. And we've had conversations about mm. this now. And I'm like, I want to question everything that was taught to me as a, as traditional, the right thing sure. to do. Not to be like, hey, I'm not cynical. Yeah. But I also think there's so many things out there that are traditionally taught to us. Limited that are, belief system. Yeah, and they're so yeah. outdated or, sure. or weren't challenged or even thought through. Um, but the kid part is I'm like, man, I try tapping into uh, the kid part of my my mind as much as I can anymore because it's sure. otherwise I just feel like even with these, you know, having the freedom of running a business, having the freedom of all the stuff I do, if I don't tap into that, I'm not really enjoying it. And right. there, there's no fun anymore behind it. Yeah. And when and you're a kid, that's all you have. Curiosity, the wonder, all those elements of the child that you're talking about are not filled with self-consciousness. Like constantly worrying about what you should be doing because it was culturally programmed into mm-hmm. what the idea of success was and all that pressure that's there that's not even real. It's an illusion. When you're six years old or eight years old, you're like, oh, look at that water. I want to jump in it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're immediately in the environment. They're in the present moment. You're not thinking forward. You're not thinking backward. You're just mm-hmm. raw right here. Mm-hmm. And that's the existential truth about the nature of reality. Right here, right now, the whole thing's filled with infinite intelligence i mean we don't know what the hell's going on here no one does mm-hmm. and you're just living right in the middle of it your lungs work your brain works you didn't do anything about that and it just yeah. it's all happening and you're in the middle of this sort of ecosystem that's been flying around the sun and i mean it just it's pretty interesting but i like what you say about the child thing because one thing that i try to do now is cultivate a beginner mindset because that's what the child is it's sort of like this beginner this humility of like i want to learn i want to explore i don't know anything Mm-hmm. And so that's how you're able to find all these incredible teachers and recognize that you don't know much. And the more you know, the more you see it goes deeper and weirder and gets more yeah. interesting. And so, yeah, I think that beginner mindset is sort of something that kids should be taught to keep, not taught to sort of think of as a bad thing. And our school system is sort of prided upon the fact of having answers and sort of having this, um, if you if you raise your hand and you have an answer, that's a good thing. And if you raise your hand and have a question, it's like, ooh, what if I don't have the... So that's yeah. a bad, bad thing. And I've heard even some neuroscientists talk about um, Annika Harris, Sam Harris's wife. She has a cool little child's book called Wonder. And it's mm-hmm. so good. It's like this little tiny thin book. But it, basically the premise of her book is to start, start teaching children that it's okay to say, I don't know. It's actually a beautiful gift. Because mm-hmm. when you don't know, now you have all the possibility. But when you know, that's a sort of ideology. Now you think you know, mm-hmm. and nothing's available to come in. That's so you're stuck in a paradigm. You're stuck in a yeah. psychological limited belief system that, yeah, it might work for now. Just like physics has evolved over time. You had Newtonian physics, and then it goes to here, and you're sort of, throughout time, the psychology has been limited by the paradigm that you exist in. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just interesting to see how the mind has shaped throughout time mm-hmm. and how our brains individually shape over time in our little life, in our lifetime. If you're willing to like let go and let your ego just sort of go, hey, I just don't know. Mm-hmm. Some of these things my parents taught me work and some are just not right, right? And they did their best. I'm not blaming them and I'm not a victim of that. But just like if you teach your kids something right now, you'd hope that they don't cling to it forever because... We're idiots, you know, yeah, we're all trying yeah. to figure it out. Nobody knows what's going on here. Yeah. So I'd want my kid to think like, I don't know, you know, I'm not real sure. Let me be healthily skeptical about the world around me and interrogate it and try to find out more about it. 
not trying to find the end-all answer, but just trying to seek to understand more about the nature of reality. Mm -hmm. And so I think just exploring and being curious is actually medicine. Totally. You know, it's a medicinal feeling to be curious and to have that awe. Mm -hmm. to read a new book and to go, holy shit, I never heard of that, you know? And now you have this, somebody tilts your head up and you have this new perceptual field and it goes on forever. And that's just one direction. And if every person you talk to can point your head in a different perceptual direction and it's infinite. Totally. Yeah. That's, that's really funny. I mean, you just, I have a few different things that rattle through from what you said, but we were, I was having this conversation with some other guys about um, always wanting to learn. And I think that there's a value, whether it's, um, at the place you work at, whether it's in a relationship, whether your with your friendships, um, the one thing that'll keep pushing you forward is feeling like you're making progress or you're learning. And, and in here too, like, you know, you can, you can promotion anybody you want um, or you can propose to someone in a relationship, but if you don't feel like you're learning from that person or progressing, um, <clears throat> eventually it's going gonna, it's gonna to spill over, you'll, you'll fall off. Right. And, 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 and now switching gears on, what you said about, you know, like the mental intelligence and all that and the crazy fucking powers of our brain that I don't think I'll ever fully understand, which is why I keep chasing it, mm -hmm. is I was having a conversation with one of our partners over at the restaurant and, and uh, I've, I've grown to be more empathetic to people's situation. Um, he's a father, he's married, two kids, you know, totally different uh, from, from sun up to sundown than me. Mm -hmm. And it took a while to really understand that, put myself in their shoes. Um, and he's also just by nature, it's a good quality, uh, a warrior. Um, Did you say what? A warrior. He okay, warrior. He, 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 he said warrior. It, it, a warrior. <laughs> it comes from a good place. Mm -hmm. and, and we've had, we had other people too who like, you, you probably dealt with people who like, they deal with anxiety, which is a form of worrying. Mm -hmm. And I was telling him and I, I said, uh, it, me learning this was so uh, beneficial is, you know, you can put your body in the same physical state if you were just thinking about um, a potential outcome. So, like, I used to do this all the time. Like, what if this happened down the road? Um, mm -hmm. And now I'm living in that state. And, and, and the relevant example was him. And, and the girl I was talking to recently said she was in fear that during the pandemic she was going to get her salary cut 50%. Mm. And she was freaking out, like, having anxiety this now. I'm like, but it hasn't happened yet. Right. And, 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 and I'm jumping conversation cause it was, it was different with him than with her, but I'm like, I bet you've been carrying that fear and anxiety around and it hasn't even happened. Mm -hmm. I'm like I used to do that to the it's point like where dis-ease. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and I used to, and I used to carry it around because there's always constant worry and concerns with our business. And as it grows, it, those, those will never end. Right. But I used to leave this and I'd be sitting in front of my, my ex at the time and I wouldn't be there because I would, all I would be thinking about is the potential. And 99.9% .9 of the time, they, it never actually yeah. happened. It's like, I forget what the quote is, but most 90% of the problems that exist are just in your head. They're mm -hmm. not real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how much of our dis-ease, our physical and psychological dis-ease is actually a narrative that's running and it's fake. It's yeah. not even real and it hasn't even happened. Yeah. And so you're relating to the, to the future-oriented world and you're never present and you're never able to truly enjoy it. And you're, you're sort of... Your body's in a toxic state because you're kicking off all these toxic hormones. Yeah. So I think a lot of physical disease is a manifestation of psychological dis-ease with reality mm. or dis-ease with the possibility that it could all go wrong tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's not healthy, obviously, but it's it's good to be aware of it. And I think that's what mindfulness is or awareness is. And it's not some woo-woo sit on a yoga mat and just stare at your navel all day. It's more like... <laughs> You can do it while you're driving. You can do it while you're hiking. You can just start to pay attention to whether or not you're actually there. 
Mm-hmm. You're chopping vegetables. Are you really there? Are you thinking about some possible outcome that could ruin your life? Totally. You know, or are you in the shower and are you actually feeling the water coming down on you and you're there and it's like, wow, life is quite real. It's pretty amazing. And then if you actually start to cultivate a habit of gratitude, which I actually think is the ultimate medicine for human beings, I don't know for myself it works and I think for anyone it could possibly be, I don't see why it wouldn't work and it's sort of been proven to shape your neurochemistry immediately is to just think of things that are so amazing right now. Mm-hmm. Your your brain's working, your lungs work. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you know, you have food, shelter, water. You live in the best time through human history as far as survival goes. And you could start counting for the rest of eternity all the things that have gone right. And the fact that you're alive and aware at all in the middle of time and space is a, is a gift. Mm-hmm. And so you start to cultivate this habit of looking for what is already right instead of looking and scraping the universe for what's going wrong or what could go wrong. Yeah, you're right. And I think immediately you take a deep breath and you think of how lucky you are. And how grateful you are, your, your whole state shifts. Mm-hmm. And so I have a 10-minute morning gratitude breathwork practice that's just incredible. Mm-hmm. And you, you start your day feeling really healthy. And so that sort of stumbles into the next uh, person or interaction that you have. Or if I'm driving to work, I'm not going to be carrying all this unconscious stress that I'm fearful. Or, you know, fear is a, a definite nasty thing that takes yeah. people over. And Especially right now. Yeah, and I don't think people are taught to pay attention to what they're paying attention to. I know I wasn't. You know, mm-hmm. so that's a superpower is to start looking at how you feel and how you think and wondering why that is and maybe start to undo those things and start to just cult even awareness is in itself, just seeing that it's happening changes your state. Yeah, yeah. As soon as you become aware that you're like, Wow, I was just thinking again about that thing, it goes away. You don't have to fight it or resist it or try not to think about it, but just awareness is and it's a superpower. Yeah. Or how you feel in the present moment. Yeah, and it, it's and a superpower. I think I mean, you're spot on that gratitude is such a, a big deal. And, and, and right now, like, especially right now with this crazy pandemic and, mm-hmm. you know, every day seems to be different news, good or bad. You know, I, I think having a practice like that is even more important. And hopefully there's people out there who are kind of sending out that message to people in between all the other terrible yeah. messages about what it's we definitely not in the mainstream. But no, it's not. And there's a lot of fear mongering right now. That. Yeah, it doesn't sell either. You know, it doesn't talk about gratitude isn't going to hit the clickbait you know mm-hmm. and that's okay but i think it's important for the individual even if the world can't quite do it if i cultivate it my day goes better and i have more impact on the people around me and so that's all i do have control over it's like i can't really control donald trump or anything on the on the macro world and i think that's when i started to read about stoicism and buddhism and different mm-hmm. philosophies that are, that are sort of timeless philosophies a lot of them are just talking about focusing on what you do have control on and letting go of anything that's outside of your ability to have any impact Mm -hmm. on and a lot of it's how you think and how you feel right now Mm -hmm. and how you treat your friends and how you treat your boss and how you treat the people that you run on at work or it's really a micro like everybody wants to change the world but nobody actually wants to change themselves and that's the hardest thing to change it's hard to manage this crazy little complex monkey yeah you know it's it's hard to manage a psychology of yourself and if you can do it the better off you are doing it for yourself the more you're able to have an impact on the people around you and do your job better and be more creative and mm-hmm. all those other things that sort of are the byproduct of doing the self the self work. Yeah. It's not a selfish thing. It's actually doing it so that you can have a better impact, you know? Yeah. And I think what, what definitely falls into this category and, it, and it's a gratitude practice is 
I used to be really guilty of, I think it's just common nature for you to always be pursuing the things that you don't have. Right. And, and you could all like, that could be just called goals. Like goals are things you don't have yet or accomplishments you haven't, haven't like that accomplished desire, yet. That dissatisfaction or. Yeah. So there's a combination of that. Mm. And, and then also too, it can be multiplied when you lose something that you did have, mm-hmm. um, whether it be like a relationship, whether it be a job or a promotion or a job that you're going after. And I used to be, I used to dwell on both. Um, I don't know which one more than the other. Um, one is like these goals, I'm chasing them, but I was so like head down chasing them that I was like, I was, I was removed from what I had right now. And I was mm-hmm. so, I don't know, I wasn't unhappy, but I was unsatisfied because I'm like, I don't have it yet. So yeah. I'm not satisfied. But on the, and then on the reverse. And then you is, get it and you're still not satisfied because you set new ones, the next thing. Which, yeah. is, which is an okay practice. But sure. if I don't center and, and have gratitude for what I do have, I was missing over like, Pete, you live in San Diego, California. Right. You have this. You have the freedom to walk out of your house. Right. And, and I could walk to the beach if I want. Like people fucking yeah. dream of that. All those little things that I'm like, mm. but I was only chasing right. the one dimensional piece. And then on top of it, when you have something happen, like, okay, you lose a relationship. Mm. Then you soak on that. Right. Where it, it was a it was a, a big pivot for me. It was, you know, when I lose something like that, that's even more reason to call, ten minutes of gratitude a day should go to an hour. Meaning sure. I, I need to lean yeah. more on, okay, what do I still have though? Because yeah. I know there's still a lot. Yeah. I might have lost and it's not to overlook like you should have the emotion of feeling sadness and, right. and mourn if you need to, but you should also not completely cannibalize right. like gratitude and what yeah. you have and i was doing that like oh poor me poor me yeah. and i'd you'd soak over i, I lost this whatever that yeah. this was i'm like, like oh. if i do this i can then be happy or if yeah. i lose this it's gonna cause me to not be happy instead of like actually joy is coming first and from a joyful state that you can cultivate right here you'll actually create better outcomes you'll have a better business you'll have a better life you'll have better totally. relationships so i can see that being a, it's not just it's everybody that's a human condition that's gone on through time that's why like the root of the problem in buddhism is said to be the root of the evil is desire mm-hmm. it's not that desire should be considered evil it's just this idea that it's perpetually running you you know mm-hmm. like this constant like i need i'm dissatisfied i'm not content mm-hmm. and actually when you start to realize i know you do this you, you feel content mm-hmm. oh, it's so nice mm-hmm. you know and then your dinner with your girlfriend goes a lot better or that next job opportunity or whatever you're trying to do that next negotiation is a lot better when you're not thinking about it could possibly go wrong or i could lose everything i have mm-hmm. so i think desire can be a real problem if you don't just start to pay attention to this underlying need for more yeah you know? and i think it also you said something along the lines and i, and I couldn't agree more and I'm, i have these conversations with my i have a 14 year old and 17 seven year old niece that i think it's, it's so critical they understand this is is where their attention is and their awareness like on on the now because I have to like I have to be disciplined in the fact that there's so many things that I could be sitting which is why I love this so much is all we're sitting right now is talking about the conversation at hand and where it goes but there are the majority of times when you're sitting across from someone or someone's uh and it's a pet peeve of mine it's a pet peeve I've grown to just accept um but we can be in another place when we're sitting right in front of each other right and and it's a pet peeve with my nieces especially because I'm like if they do this now well, how are they going to socialize when they're sure. when they're my age or getting older? I'm, you know, and, and and examples would be like if you have, you have a phone. Now all of a sudden mm-hmm. we're here, but you're in wherever that yeah. place is that that person you're looking at and yeah. commenting on. And and I would do that to the same degree when I said when I was chasing these goals or reluctant on the stuff that I lost is I was starting to realize like man I'm forgetting certain memories or time I spent with someone because when I was with them they remembered vividly and I'd have people be like Pete remember that one time. Mm. But and I think it's because my mind, I was just, I was off 
Thank thinking you. about so many, like whatever the case it was. Sure. And, and it was almost starting to get to a point where I was like a little worried. Like, dude, why don't I remember that? And he does or she does. And I mm. came to realize, I'm like, it's because I'm letting this, the hamster wheel just keep spinning. Yeah. As opposed it's to, not even in your awareness at yeah. the time that you're doing it. Yeah. And, and think about how many, like how many distractions there are that we have now. Mm. It's out of control out that of we control. don't even know. And these poor kids aren't being taught how to use the supercomputer in their pocket that is, you know, so crazy how powerful it is and there's yeah. companies out there that actually are incentivized to capture their attention for money mm-hmm. and so it's not like they're victims of it but they sort of are going to be just like there was an obesity epidemic and we saw what happened with the food chain being completely industrialized and you saw the sugar and the the diabetics and all the stuff well then you know 10 years later you look back and you go you get this new healthy generation where they're like i'm keto i'm this i'm that mm-hmm. well with the cell phone thing in 20 years we're going to look back as a smartphone in your pocket having access to everything and everyone at all times, beautiful superpower, but also completely devastating to the attention and to the, to the ability for a kid to be present and have mm-hmm. a life and a normal interaction with a human being. And they're constantly socially comparing themselves. And there's all this depression and anxiety and all the byproducts in the negative way. And the people that build these platforms won't even allow their children to use these things, but yet they're selling them and they're yeah. promoting them. And so it's uh, you ever read any of Naval Harari's book, Sapiens? He wrote mm. Homo Deus. He, he talks a lot about cell phones and technology and how it shapes our brains and how basically human beings, we think we have a lot of free will and we want to have a lot of free will because obviously that is where you can make your decisions from. And it's an empowering feeling to think that you actually control who you are and how you think and what you do. But 90% of who you are and what you do is not in your control. It's in the hands of these big corporations that are manipulating you for, you know, quick dopamine hits of a next like button. Totally. And so there's all this subconscious programming and most kids are not aware of it at all. And then if you're not aware of it, you're just basically in a matrix. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not good. It's very dangerous. And it sort of creates a potential for a lot of other problems that can be... uh, Anyway, talked about the, the, it's a huge. Yeah, that'd be a whole different conversation. No, I, I agree. And there, and I, I've always had just this big, big concern with. I, I think it impacts people our ages, but I'm just so concerned for the generation below. And I'm not anti-technology. Like I, I appreciate the fact that they're going to be so much more technology, right? Technology sound than us. It, so we weren't as we didn't stuck and, on it from the early age. Yeah, and I think I, I, I'm glad. Me too. Because I also like how I learned to socialize has been what's gotten me where I am now. You know, sure. creating those relationships and learning to socialize is so important that that's what right. I, that's what I worry about. And not um, being addicted to that thing to the extreme level that they might be at 14, 15, 16. And, and, and they're still they're still wrapping their heads around emotions. They're still understanding. Yeah. Like you hear, like yeah, yeah, she's got a breakup with. For starters, she's dating a boy, and they break up. And they're just they had that their hearts broken. They're still learning what that is that, that feeling of it. Sure. And, and I had this conversation with my sister cause I'm like, Lynn, the extent of what we had to worry about, about our emotions flaring was if you went to school and, and, and a boy said to you, I'm talking to my sister said, you're ugly or your shirt's ugly or whatever that fucked with you. And mm-hmm. you carry that with you for a while. Mm-hmm. I'm like, they have that incoming at 24 seven. Second, yeah. yeah. You know, and, yeah, and they got Snapchat, they've got all these different apps and they're comparing themselves to this feedback. Yeah. And, and I have such a heart for it. Cause I remember my, when my oldest niece was younger you know, I have that like, cause they, their dad's not with them. So I kind of feel some of like the dad emotions and conversations with her. And, and I remember when she was younger, I would have the, like, he said, what, you know, you, you, you'd, you'd flare up, but now I'm hearing the conversations of what's being done on like the social platforms. 
I'm like, well, that's completely, I have no control over that. Sure. But I, I understand because I see in you that this is completely flip-flopping you every single day and you're not yet prepared to handle that. You know, mm-hmm. you're not at all, all prepared to handle it. developed yet. And yeah. That's tough, man. Yeah. And, and I think that there's, there's a time and place for that. But I even said to my, my sister, I'm like, dude, I give you so much credit as a, as a single mom because raising someone right now, you're, you're not the cool mom and you want to be the cool mom if, if you completely strip them of that, you mm-hmm. know? And right now it's, you're the, you're the outlier if you don't have a phone, sure. you're the outlier if you don't have a right. profile on that. But I said, Lynn, who's going to be the real outlier down the road? Right. You know? And, and I think finding that balance, which mm-hmm. takes a whole lot more, more time, but I'm really interested to see how that generation, I don't know what they call mm-hmm. that generation. Yeah, there's a bunch of names there's because names. there's so many different generations and two-year periods because technology is exponential yeah. now. So it used to be 10 years, you'd have a generation, now it's two. Yeah. And you call them all something Should else because they're all being born into it at an exponential curve. So if you get a smartphone at eight versus someone who got it at 14, your brain develops completely different. Mm-hmm. But you know, yeah. learning how to interact with it is the goal and learning to have, you know, it's a super tool. And our tools are double-edged swords, so we can use them for the good. And I think there's going to be a lot of smarter kids that can build multi-billion-dollar companies and have an impact on a million people or a billion people from their basement. Mm-hmm. And I also yeah. think there's going to be kids that waste their whole lives playing video games and never see the world and have depression and anxiety. So there's going to be both, because I meet 20-year-olds now that are so smart, and they're already having an impact on millions of people, and they have ideas, and they can connect their idea to crowdfunding and crowdsourcing and all of a sudden it emerges three days later mm-hmm. and then they can have multiple companies and they can work from their smartphone and travel the world and so there's all this incredible opportunity from it but there's also you know depression anxiety all the things that people if they don't learn how to use the super computer or the super tool it can eat them up yeah so there's gonna have to be classes and ways to teach people how to pay attention to what they're paying attention to and that's the super i think the the gold of the future is going to be attention that's Mm -hmm. who you are it's what you do with your time it's who you choose to be around and if you're just sucked into this thing that's actually been created to rape your attention for money you're gone Mm -hmm. you're a slave Mm -hmm. and so i think paying attention to what we pay attention to is the new superpower of the future and yeah it's not because i'm the only one thinking that there's a lot of people a lot of people way smarter than me that are already seeing that and they're going how do we deal with this how do we mm-hmm. educate children at a young age to deal with this, this sort of technological exponential curve and they're going to get smartphones tough question years. yeah it's weird no one knows the answer yeah. but we have to start creating new models and uh fix it and we will because we're yeah. an adaptable species and i think we sort of adapt and evolve and overcome and that's what we've done for millions of years but so i have a question you know. with that in mind because i know you said you just had a, a, a new guy on the job at your department who's mm-hmm. 19 he's um, 24 but Oh, okay. Yeah. Do you see, because I'll ask people, we've had business owners on here um, who have worked their way up the ranks. Um, and I ask like, hey, the, the incoming working class, like the people who are starting from entry level position yeah. in your company, or like we've <clears> had uh, radio personalities on here when they're starting from, you know, the intern who's not getting paid, who's working crazy hours, yeah. the job you did 20 years ago. Do you, see, I ask them, do you see a difference in their work ethic, their values, like their drive, what they're doing? Because mm-hmm. I, I have, it was really cool to, to be able to be friends and even roommates with three different, um, well, Sean, uh, as he went through Academy and then mm-hmm. he got on cause you're for arguably your first year, roughly you're a booter and, yeah. and you're the bottom of the totem pole. And I got to like live with him through that and hear all, and he was ultra, ultra disciplined in it. He took it very serious. Right. Do you think now, because it's kind of shifting into a, a new generation who are probably coming into those positions, do you see a different yeah. different values and different... 
totally different and it's hard to put your finger on the pulse of what's different and how mm. it's different and a lot of it's good differences and a lot of it's like wow that guy's 29 years old and he's still living with his parents you know mm. so and it's not that that's bad but it just doesn't make sense to me because i remember at 18 i'm like get me out of the house i want yeah, you to yeah, sell, you know buy your own car pay for your own college i've always been in that mindset <clears throat> and i've i've always had a pretty good work ethic and like sean i was busting my ass and i was like when i was on probation i was trying to be the best and all that stuff and I do think that there's you know a different generation coming on it's not that all of them are like that you see new guys that are just like we were back then if not even better harder worker in better shape they eat better they eat cleaner they there there's a lot of discipline in there and then there's some guys that are softer and they want you know they want to be rewarded for everything or so there's a lot of both just like oh, you yeah. would see with any cultural shift mm. and uh, I appreciate it because that's all you can do is appreciate the the new people coming up and try to help relate to them in a healthy way. Instead of looking at it as a bad thing, I try to sort of see it as a new emergence of a new type of firefighter coming up or yeah. even getting outside of work. It's like culturally at large, these new kids coming up at gen in general that are going into the workforce or they're coming out of college with thousands of dollars of debt and they're living at home still. And maybe they don't have any real skills because college for the most part, is a big waste of time if you haven't recognized it. Yeah. So you can educate yourself at the Library of Alexandria right now from your smartphone mm. and find the best teachers, and you can learn so much so quickly, but people are still signing up for college, and they're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars, and they're drinking beer, and they're wasting time, and then they come out, and they have zero skills, and now mm -hmm. they're going to enter the workforce to pay off the debt. and It's very interesting, and not mm -hmm. all college is a waste of time, but I just that model seems to be failing, and I see hopefully the kids... Yeah, hopefully they can not keep following that model and sort of buying into that sort of corporate model to pay off their debt and yeah. hating, hating their lives. A lot of kids hate their lives when they're stuck in that, you know. And yeah, that you can learn so much right now. You can travel, you can learn new cultures, you can get on the internet. And if you're curious and you truly want to learn, you can listen to any podcast, read any book by the best people that have ever written about the subject matter. And so this is the best time to be alive to build your brain. And to learn new skills, and I don't think a lot of kids have done that because there's all this pressure to go to college and to be doing something. And when you're young, you have all that pressure of, like, what should I do with my life? And if you say you're going to college, whew, stress is off you because people are like, oh, good for you. Absolutely. Now you don't have to have an answer. Yeah. But if you say, actually, I don't know what the hell I want to do with my life, that's actually a really healthy answer because you shouldn't know what you want to do with mm -hmm. your life. You're 19. Maybe you should go to Europe for a month. Maybe yeah. you should get, uh, you know, wash some dishes and learn a new language while you're there. Yeah. Learn how to make some pizzas while you're there. Come back and learn some different skills, you know. And I, I just feel like there's too much pressure to go to school, and, mm -hmm. you know. And then people sign up for some subject that they don't really truly care about, and four years later they come out of school and like, what the fuck did I learn? Yeah. So I see that as more of an issue. Yeah, you know? I, I, I do. I, I have a very similar opinion on, on that. Would probably cause colleges. a lot of soft, you know, some emotions with a lot of people because they went to college and went that route. But college is a giant scam yeah but the amount I, of money I, I, for the little bit that you get out of it unless you're going to be a surgeon or there's certain things of course you need it but for the average degree you're just jumping through hoops and learning how to be a good slave 
<laughs> well, no, I, I, I agree with you. And coming from someone who went to college, right. and I have the same same opinion, is I, is I think this falls in the category of what I said before, is I'm, I'm really on a mission right now to challenge traditions and what's traditionally taught to us. Right. And you're right. Like, if you had, after you walked the graduation at high school, if you said, oh, I'm going to college at, I went to Arizona State. People are like, good for you. People yeah, you, you felt it. accomplished. They right. thought you were accomplished. That was success. Stress is off your back. You're doing the right thing. Yeah, but and then you have the similar questions as you're walking down the graduation of college. What are you going to do? And, and, and that career, which I took, I recruited right out of um, my last semester in college. Like, oh, I got a job with such and such company. Mm-hmm. It's in my major. It's got a salary. It's got benefits. Right. That, that reeked success. Yeah. Is looking back now, I feel almost, it's almost like a feeling of taboo to say it was a waste. Um, I, th- I think it's an outdated, the syllabus is outdated. The whole practice behind it's outdated. It's been around for a really long time. I think the discipline of creating some sort of um, place that peers in the same age and 18 to 22 is such a vulnerable age mm-hmm. that they have a discipline of going to school, but they, what they learn needs to be updated because almost everyone that goes in there, unless they're going to be a doctor or a lawyer, mm-hmm. that, they don't have the answer. So why do we keep spitting out the same education at them or classes at them and, and yeah. you're going inside them? I, I, this is hilarious. When I signed up for my first semester of classes, I was still in high school, went to the whole orientation. There was a good looking girl next to me and I legit signed up for the same classes as her. Right. What kind of, <laughs> what yeah. kind of compass is that? You know, yeah. like, but, th- but then you just kind of keep going like, well, now yeah. I'm on to the, instead of the, the yeah. English 101 classes, now it's a 201, yeah. now it's a 301. And it's just busy work, most of it. It's, it's a know, lot of busy, it's a lot of memorization. Yeah, you're yeah. not learning how to think or learn how to read and write. You're learning how to uh, be a good, you know, corporate worker. Yeah. and Someone I, that can do a lot of busy work. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't teach you life skills. I feel even worse saying this, and I've said it before, is... People will ask you, do you do you think you retained a lot of, of stuff? Like I got a business degree. Mm-hmm. Did you retain a lot from your finance class right. and this? I'm like, let me answer that for you. <laughs> I don't remember. I swear to you, I don't remember one of my professors' names. Yeah. You think I you think I retained anything from those classes? No, no I didn't. Mm-hmm. And that that in itself, as far as answering, means things need to be updated. And that four right. year time period should be. Not what you said, you know, it's not, it shouldn't be so robotic and, and you got to do the same course and then you get out and, and you're, you're now trained for corporate. It should be, okay, we're going to spend four years because that's at least what it's going to take for you to figure out what you want to do. Sure. And, and, and I think there's going to be like a, a coalition of a lot of these guys who are successful entrepreneurs or mm-hmm. philanthropists or thinkers or all that. I could see them putting together a university of their own. Sure. And c- completely rewriting. Yeah. Um, and they're doing that. There's yeah. many people creating these new, cool learning platforms. And that would be, be and, and you know, and, and a lot of these guys have so much wealth. You know, they take out land someplace. You can go there. It might not be four years because they're sure. like, hey, a lot of that four years is fat. You're just, yeah. it's, you're just weeding around the fat. It's one full year. You can move into a dorm. Right. You're going to go to this, that, and the other. You are going to feel uncomfortable for a year straight. But when you come out, you're going to know what the fuck you want to do, who you want to do. Yeah. You know, it's like a lot of these, we've, we've talked about. A lot of the people doing like retreat weekends and, yeah. and uh, charging a lot of money for you to go for two two yeah. days to, uh, you know, they have all different names that they put on it, like sure. life life coaches and all that. Yeah. It's become actually now a, a business. Thing, yeah. yeah, it's become a business where I, I think as long as the professors or the people behind this are, are validated, mm-hmm. that would be something that I, because sure. kids are growing you're up. you're interested in, really nail it down and go to like a three-week intensive or a two weekend intensive workshop, learn mm-hmm. that and then go learn another one and another one and build your own toolkit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause, cause you right know? now it's, it's, you're literally, 
it's the definition of just going through the motions in college. Yeah. You know, and for a while is, after yeah. I defended it, I'm like, okay, no, but if I didn't go to college, 18 to 22, I'd have been pretty reckless. Yeah. And then I, I, I contradict myself. I'm like, well, you were pretty reckless in college anyway. Yeah. It's just you were staying in the in the on the hamster yeah. wheel and kept going. But now looking back, like I don't think it's I don't think it's an unpopular thing. Yeah, like to if say. you had an 18 year old kid right now, you'd probably say, don't go to college if you don't know what you want to do. Why waste 80 grand when you don't know what you're 100%. doing it for? Why don't you just go travel? Why don't you go to Chile for a couple of months and yeah. learn Spanish? Yeah. See how that goes. Because seeing another culture is an education. Totally. And it actually causes neuroplasticity. When you're in a novelty experience, when you go to Japan, your brain is being developed right there just by being in an unnatural environment, learning mm -hmm. a new language, learning how a different culture works, coming back with perspectives. Mm -hmm. I think that's far more advantageous. Yeah. You know, and if yeah. you were actually, if I had a 19 year old kid that wanted to go get a business degree, I'd say, take that 80 grand and do sort of what Tim Ferriss would call a real world MBA. And try out a business. And if you fail, yeah. you fail, but you learn all those cool lessons from trying to start a business mm -hmm. that you couldn't have learned in college. And now your next business, you're going to make way better choices. Mm -hmm. And you can actually write that debt off, whereas college debt, you're fucked. Or, you know? or that, that's that's really <laughs> interesting. You're right. If you take that money and say, hey, I want to become an entrepreneur or I want to become whatever that that piece is, mm -hmm. then instead of putting the thousands and thousands of dollars, like it's going to sound funky to an 18-year-old because they're so trained on, I go, I go to work for someone, he pays me, be like, right. go pay someone who's at the top of that, who's at the top of that industry. Yeah. And if you came to a business owner or like uh, a Sergio, if someone's become a photographer, a videographer, if someone came to him and said, Hey, I want to pay you sure. to sit inside your, yeah, yeah, I want to pay you to learn it yep. for X amount of time until I feel ready. He's going to say, well, that's sure. fucking cool. Yeah. You know, and, 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 you know, as is, there's already opportunities to do it like and even unpaid, if you didn't but pay, if you, you do it unpaid and just say, yeah. I'll work hard for you to learn the skill. Yeah. I think that's far more advantageous is to go apprentice under something that you want to do you know yeah way more smart it, you know? it, and because it, i grew up my mom was a, a court reporter for the federal court and so just being around her i i wanted to be a lawyer and an example of this is is before i went to college because i was i was pretty gung-ho on mm. i'm gonna be an attorney that's like what you see in the movies and it's such a powerful position they make good money yeah and then my mom's like hey i'll i'll let you I, i've great relationships you can go shadow and you can go sit in an attorney's office yeah fucking hated it right hated it yeah. it was not at all you know he, it, it, it was the the movie like desk that he had that was stacks of papers yeah and his da his daily it, it wasn't the you know i object your honor in courtroom all day that i was like yeah. oh yeah i want to do that i want to go in court and just fucking bully around yeah it was a shitload of reading of stress of like 12 15 16 hour days and and, and i never really got uh, a shred of like happiness yeah. from him you know where he was just so fucking enthused about it right so i did maybe three or four of those and i'm like no way no way yeah Good i can't do that stepping into that before you just went and signed up for the schooling and went down that rabbit hole and then yeah once you get too far into it and you're in debt for college for it you're like i have to stick with this yeah which is what a lot of people do yeah and um, i remember having a professor say in college don't know his name but he said something <laughs> along the line he threw out a statistic that most call almost all college graduates take at least, they work at least eight or nine different jobs before they have their forever job. Mm -hmm. But he was saying in a negative connotation. He was like, you need to prepare. You need to have this so you don't have to be another statistic. Mm. And and at the time, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do that. Like That's terrible. But now I'm, it's the reverse. I'm like, that's right. You should taste yeah. everything. Get a little yeah. taste of this. Like, you should experience eight or nine at minimum to figure out. And I think the, the majority of your 20s should honestly just be touching and feeling everything go yeah. touch and feel everything don't get too attached to anything yeah. have an open mind and if you're okay you're young enough you don't have any dependence or reliabilities yet right 
just walk away from it. Yeah. Walk away from it. You know? And, and I maybe think that's learn a bunch of different skills and learn how to think so that you're sort of useful and maybe you have many different jobs for many different people and you don't work a forty hour work week. Mm-hmm. A lot of the kids in the future might have a skill set and an ability to serve someone like you for about four hours a week mm-hmm. and it's worth X amount of dollars and he does that for seventeen other people. Or he does something for you that he can't do for the guy up the street, but the guy up the street, he does something completely different. So they might have a different way of thinking completely about the way that work looks. Like the 40-hour work week seems to be not useful anymore in a lot of ways for a lot of companies. Mm -hmm. And even during this COVID time, we're starting to see how many will never go back to having their employees go back to a 40-hour office job Mm -hmm. because they can do it from home. Yeah, And maybe they don't need to work 40 hours because they're happier surfing half the day and they're more creative if they have that free time instead of just sitting there like a drone for the last four hours of their day. Totally. Yeah. You know, so I just don't see that those 40-hour work weeks are going to exist for too much longer for too many companies. That's I don't think so. That's just an old dead model, too, from the industrial model. Yeah, and, and the work week and the working style, especially coming out of this remote pandemic, like mm-hmm. our working model is going to change significantly right. too. And the reason I asked too, because I, I have had some direct experience when, when I say about the new younger working class, because mm-hmm. we have younger, um, not kids, but the kids that come in here. And and typically when we're not in a pandemic, we, we at least will have like one intern working here. It's paid internship. Um, a lot of them from like marketing degrees and we're, they're interested in learning the marketing side of business. And I had one and it was young, uh, like on his last year of college and on his final day, and it's usually like six months, we've had interns who will then graduate into um, like a, a paid position here, like a full-time position. It's actually mm-hmm. happened uh, a few different times. This one, it wasn't, but I never I never had a one-on-one like just conversation. Right. Touch and go. Like, hey, you get that? Because he had someone who oversaw him. Right. But it, it was funny because I, I recapped after. And, and even like his uh, his discourse, it was like an email. Like, hey, it was great working, which I totally respect, totally appreciate. And this isn't an all shiny. Now, this was me, me. I was, and and maybe I could have done a little bit more to um, to get that one on one. I don't think as an intern you should be in here absorbing everything. Right. But when I read that email, I'm like, I never once, me and you, like, and I'm not saying any any more valuable than anybody else. But that's what you're an intern. You're, you're gaining experience. We never even like. You never soaked up anything from me. Right. You oversaw. You sat in some group meetings that we were yeah. all in together. Just sort of jumping through the motions. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was it was really bizarre and, and and tried not to read into it too much. I didn't take it offense. I'm like, well, there's sure. probably a, a, he's young. Maybe he just felt a little off, off put. Right. Or it's part of the socializing thing, yeah. too. He also had a big social media account, yeah. too. Maybe he in person just couldn't like, dude, from from my growing up and like being a kid who had to go out and play in the neighborhood to, to go play, to see people, to bartending and serving tables. Everything was like, I got to reach out a hand to, to introduce. So I'm just so prone to that. And that's yeah. how I was brought up. Like, that's where I started unraveling the conversation of are, are they going to socialize difference? Yeah. Different I'm like, breed, right? Yeah. And like, we had so many great resources in here of people. Yeah. And I never really did a, a, a round the bend with everybody else. But if I were to ask my partner or this department head or anybody here, I think the same feedback would be like, yeah, I never really did either. Kind yeah. of get his desk. He had, he had his like busy marketing work, which sure. was, was traditional intern work, but never really yeah. anything past that. And man, if I did that, I would not nearly have the, the runway we've created here. Right. If I wasn't willing to just go up and fucking, yeah. you know? Yeah. And he might have just been jumping through the hoops, even saying that he's apprenticing somewhere. It feels good. And then he's checked that box off and it's sort of exactly. Fits. You never know. But 
yeah. a lot of people do a lot of things just based on what the the culture is doing and what you're supposed to be doing. And I think that it's and it could be. Yeah, you never know. I just think be. a lot of times you just do it so that you can tell people like I'm doing the thing. So now you're off my back. I'm not. Mm-hmm. It's weird when you don't know really what you're doing and why you're doing it. And it's okay to have that as an answer. I think that's most people because mm-hmm. we all are sort of moving through the middle of a weird existential situation called life, and nobody really has a clue what they're doing and how they how they should be doing it, but we're trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's uncomfortable, I think, for people to say, I just don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm moving into that. Like you said, my 20 years is coming up where I have to make big decisions about, like, well, what, what do I do? Do I stick it out for the rest of my life? Yeah. Or do I shift into a whole nother paradigm? It's like, so I'm coming up to that, like, 19-year-old question of, like, what do you do with your life? And mm. it's not as uncomfortable as I think it would have been at 19 because now I have a little bit more understanding about the way I want to shape my life. But I think my goals have shifted from exterior goals to internal goals, mm. modes of being, ways of thinking, because I think that the landscape is so crazy right now, especially even with this COVID thing, it makes people realize that the next few years, nobody knows what the actual landscape's going to look like, mm-hmm. what the economy is going to look like, what the world's going to look like. And I think it's good to now start really honing in on who you are. How are you going to deal with this weird, unknown world that's coming at you? Yeah. And I think that's a, a challenging thing to go and look at. you know. And so I'd like to build sort of a mode of being that's sort of versatile and a and able to adapt to an ever-changing environment. Interesting. And so read books that are going to be useful and timeless. You know, read books that have worked for thousands of years for people and that will work in the future regardless of what the landscape looks like. Mm. And uh, learn things that are are practical, you know. And so anyway, it's, it's, it's like you're building your own backpack full of useful goods and services that when I meet someone like you... I can just pull out my bag and offer you the things that I think are going to work in the real time. Mm. And I have plenty of things to offer you if I've been reading well or if I've been learning well or if I've had all these experiences. And I think we're going to interact differently in the next 10, 20 years. I agree. You know, it's like everybody at some level is going to be a consultant based on their life experience if you're able to have collected a bunch of useful experiences. Because everybody has a different field of experience and everybody has something to teach somebody else. Yeah, that's interesting. And we can learn from everybody too, so... Yeah, I'm excited for that. You know, in the, in the future, I'm going to be able to live in other countries and travel the world. But in that time frame, I'll also be exchanging what I have to offer to other people. Totally. You know, that's so, interesting. Yeah. And, I, and I, it's a good segue because I wanted to definitely now speed up to, you know, day to day now. And I don't want to play into that the uh, question or conversation of because you're coming up on the 20 year that we talk about the question of, yeah. you know, what is the plan? Like, is there anything that you've really um, dialed in that this is, I'm doing this, or are you still yeah. kind of feeling that out? Yeah, I'm sort of, like I said, I'm focusing on intrinsic goals, internal goals, cool. and not thinking like, well, in five years, I need to have that business or that label as far as what my job title would be if I'm a consultant or if I'm a, instead, it's like, hold on, just try to be more mindful, be more present, mm-hmm. be more humble, you know, be more curious, be more open, mm-hmm. uh, be more balanced, cultivate a human being yeah, and actually yeah. in doing that, that's very useful to other people around you, I think. And it'll end up sort of shaping the relationships. Even in the last few years, I've started to realize that doing those things has opened up so many incredible opportunities for me. And uh, it's like you just become more resourceful and you have all these things to offer people that you didn't know were gifts, you know, mm-hmm. and people are like, wow, I could actually use you on this zoom call next week for mm-hmm. this business pitch I'm doing. I think your, your, your mind would be perfect for that. And, Mm. So I've had a lot of weird, interesting opportunities 
for just helping people think differently. And it's because I'm obsessed with thinking about thinking, and so it becomes something that I guess I have as a value system that I can share with others. So I don't know what I'll be doing with it in the next few years, but I think that it'll be something that I uh, will find myself doing in some different way that I can't imagine yet. Huh. Very strange to say that out loud, but uh, it's true. <laughs> no, no. I feel okay about that. I sort, I've sort of even cultivating the okayness with saying I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I've also been working on um, investments and getting myself set up to where I'll have financial freedom and mobility and the ability to sort of invest in myself and others. Because I definitely want to connect ideas that have impact to the resources they need, to the people they yeah, need, yeah. and help those people create ideas that are going to shape the environment in a better way or have an impact on people's lives. And there's a major value in that. Right. Major sort of value. like, you know, it's not sales, it's not marketing, it's actually connecting and yeah, yeah. sharing. So. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, cause you live, you live in Arizona, so I have to kind of follow your day to day socially or digitally, which I think yeah. is great. Um, I guess walk us through, I know you had, so you have your daily gratitude practice, but I also see you, you're really in tune with outdoors, which mm-hmm. I, I, I love. Is there like a, do you have normal daily, daily practices when you're not on shift, um, that you do yeah. right now that that's kind of become part of your routine? Yeah. I'm sort of a. Over the years, I've learned that morning habits are, like, everything for me. Mm-hmm. And so, but with my schedule being 24 on, 48 off, I have 20 days a month that I have the exact same morning rituals, which I can go through. But then the other day where I'm coming off shift, it's sort of, you don't know what calls you're going to get. You don't know when you'll be off. Sure. It's sort of, I leave that day to be like, go with it, be present with it, and find your time to do your practices throughout that day. Mm-hmm. They can be somewhat consistent, but the 20 days a month that I have sort of control over my morning... I wake up, brush my teeth, drink a huge glass of like this sort of hydrating. I do like a bunch of lemon juice and I boot sea salt, mm-hmm. a little apple cider vinegar. I slam this huge hydration. Yeah. Cyst- I, I just have to do that. We were just know? talking about yeah, these, yeah. these minerals. But anyway, I slam this huge thing of water down and then I go do a bunch of breath work. I throw my mat down and I've been doing Wim Hof's method for about nice. four years every single day. That's just practical for me. And I've gone down the rabbit hole of learning a bunch of different breathing techniques like pranayama stuff and but I stick to his for the morning ritual just because it sort of energizes and it's yeah it's good. It takes about 20 minutes. Do some mobility stuff on the mat. And then I usually make some coffee. I do my reading. And then I'm off to work. Mm. So Interesting. Yeah, and then on my second day off, I usually go and I bike to the gym. And then I also have a huge act- outdoor sort of uh, calisthenics playground. playground. I do a lot of rings and dips and pull-ups and kettlebells and just yeah, bodyweight stuff. But a lot of sunshine, a lot of reading, a lot of writing. I like to play music, a lot of camping. So yeah, but I'm out in nature quite a bit. Yeah, I like so, to be out in nature, and just, there's something to it that's medicinal for me. Oh yeah, especially being alone in nature, and it's powerful stuff. Uh-huh. I enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. It. Uh, so I mean, we're we're big followers of Wim Hof. Mm. Um, he's definitely got me into like the cold practice and. And slowly getting into more and more of the breath work because it's such an underrated. Actually, it's, I, I know I talked to you last time I saw you was uh, uh, I went to Aubrey's um, Santa Monica, like on it retreat. Mm-hmm. And Kyle was there, Kingsbury. Mm-hmm. Good and one of his, he was one of the keynotes. And one of it was specifically about breath work. And it was really powerful. And, and I, I think I'm more, I, I, I consume a lot of like reading and I believe that, you know, that's, that's you playing defenses reading, but I got to put it into offense. So like, mm-hmm. you know, whether I'm researching sleep or researching breath work, then I got to put into play mm-hmm. H- going through and him, him forcing that um, really made me really validated how 
important how easy the, the breath work is. And there's mm-hmm. there's so many different people and studies behind uh, just breath work. Yeah, but that's a, and, that's and incredibly and, and Kyle's just a, he's just a really really he's he's so like you hear him hear him rattle off bits and pieces of information from books he's read. I, mm-hmm. I, I would imagine the library up here would trump like yeah. most every, learner. especially at his age. Yeah. He's just full of knowledge. Yeah. And you also can tell he's the type of guy that it doesn't just stay up here. Yeah. Like he, he puts it into play. And he follows like Paul check real deeply. And yeah. Paul's like a somewhat of a modern day genius. Yeah. You know, um, but where I was going with that is, have you seen the like retreats now that Wim does? And I want to say it's like Poland or, yeah, I saw, I've seen a few people go over there and do that. I'd love to do that someday. Going to the top of the mountain. Yeah. My I, friend Mike actually did that. He's in Phoenix and runs a bunch of really? work workshops and, what do you has say? a cool center called Optimize Me, and they do the ice baths and saunas, and he's got a cool little business built around that, but he loved it. Yeah, we before yeah. this all happened, we were actually, we said, okay, and I think Sean actually uh, follows Wim too, mm-hmm. and I want to say he does it, he did, he had a conference here, he'll come to the States, and he did something in San Jose, and then randomly a venue that we work with here, it was unannounced, un, like there's nothing, no public tickets sold, I think he was just brought on by an internal company that he was speaking at here. Mm-hmm. But at San Jose conference, it wasn't really like, like we've talked. It wasn't really my, yeah. I already played through my head that the type of people and model that it's in. I've been to these conferences sure. before, even though at the end, part of it that you pay for is you get an ice bath. I'm like, I get an ice bath right. every day, but his, his trip out there and going to the top of the mountain oh, for me, that's, cool. that's more of a challenge than yeah. anything. And something that like, I think would put into play all of the stuff that we've, we do on a daily basis, but we said before all this happened and, and I'll be curious to see if he still keeps those in motion coming out of uh, quarantine because we can't even travel over there, but we were committed to, Hey, we're going to go, yeah. we're going to go do that. We're going to climb the mountain. It'd be I'd really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I think Wim too is the true yogi, you know, like he mm-hmm. went and learned Sanskrit to learn yoga. He traveled the world. I mean, he's put his body and mind to this extreme test, like a David Goggins kind of mm-hmm. guy, but for all his stuff. And I think, I don't necessarily want to go to that extreme, but I'm so thankful for teachers like him that do the practical work. Mm-hmm. They're not philosophizing it. They're doing it. They're embodying mm-hmm. it. He's full of raw energy. I mean, that first interview I saw him on Rogan, number 712, I've shared it with thousands of people. It's potent. He's yeah. sitting there, and it's like, this guy is authentic. Yeah. He's done the work. And then you look at his track record, and you're going, wow, he's been injected with endotoxins, and he can change his immune system. Like, I didn't know you yep. could do that. Yeah. He's showing every human being that we're capable of using our mind and our bodies to, you know, be happy, healthy, strong, and it's cool stuff, man. And I think he sort of bridged the gap between the sort of the West took yoga and they turned it into this big sort of, you know, thing, and it's it's good. I'm glad that everybody has it now because yoga is incredible, but I think Wim does a good job of bridging the gap between the average everyday person. Mm. I can share that with firemen, you know? Yeah, yeah. Whereas if I brought a bunch of firemen down to a kundalini class. I'd be like, this is bullshit. <laughs> but you do kundalini for an hour, and it is hyper prime. I yeah, mean, yeah. Really. Or like uh, I've done a bunch of holotropic breath work that Stanislav Graf created, and that's powerful stuff. Mm-hmm. Breath work is a, a rabbit hole. Yeah. It's, it's probably the most potent thing that you can do mm-hmm. as far as changing your state. Alchemy, just changing your mind and your state. I mean, I do the six deep breaths all the time just to reset my system. I do breathing techniques at night to slow the system down. When I'm going to a fire, I'm doing, you know, like different box breath work techniques. Mm-hmm. I like to show the new guys, like, if you control your breath, you control your mind. And if you control your mind, you have more control over your environment. Mm-hmm. And so when you go into a really crazy, chaotic scene and there's bodies laying everywhere or whatever, a fire, it's, it's almost like a video game where your mind... You have all this adrenaline, all this energy, but you can manage it with your breath. 
Mm-hmm. And so, and we're carrying an air pack. So if you don't manage your breath, you run out of your air and you're overworking and you're not managing your system right. So uh, I didn't mm. know these things when I was first getting hired, but now it's nice to sort of share with the new guys yeah. on the way to the call. <sighs> yeah. Slow down. Because when you slow down, you make less mistakes. You see bigger picture. You have more of an impact. Mm-hmm. And that sort of trickles into all things in life. It's not something that's just on the fire ground. It's like everything. Because I'm sure most of those guys, if you if you put their, your ear to their chest, their breathing oh, is oh, just, oh, yeah. yeah. And they're getting, and a lot of guys lose it, you mm-hmm. know, like they start flipping boxes open and just getting chaotic. Yeah. And what I've realized pretty early on by seeing really good mentors was that calm is contagious and chaos is contagious. Mm. And so your energy controls the scene. And, and so if you're calm and you're you're sort of even light about it, it keeps everybody calm and then everybody can do a really good job. Whereas if you're flipping around and you're yelling, everybody starts flipping around. It's very contagious. So I think that that's something I saw early on both sides of it. And mm-hmm. I went, I don't want to do that. And I do want to do that. And so I try my best to be a, a good example on chaotic calls. And it, and it does show too. Like guys say, man, I like the way you handled that. Yeah. And then they can know that they can do that. You know, it's kind of like the empowering. parent when, when their kid bumps their head you know, yeah, if the, if the parent out. freaks out, the how the kid reacts is going to be completely different. Not sure. comparing a, a firefighter no, no, new no, on the job true. to a kid, but yeah. it's contagious. Yep. It's really contagious. It is contagious. Yeah, so. it's interesting. Well, I think one of the one of the main ending questions we always uh, finish with is, you know, I think we got a good lift under the hood on, you know, what got you where you are now, and and I think. Uh, modestly, I could sit here and talk for hours. Um, yeah. But in order to, to round the bend, you know, we always try to to ask each person that comes on because they all have a different background story, um, what they've gone through to get to where they're at now, is if there's someone out there listening or watching who is just getting started, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's a guy who's just getting started um, on the job or whatever they're pursuing or considering school, like, you mm-hmm. know, they're coming out of high school, you know, what if what is your uh cliff note advice for someone like that as far as mm-hmm. um not making irrational decisions not falling into some of the, the pitfalls that we talked yeah. about i would have to say just generally speaking to any young human being on the planet or any person on the planet is just to start paying attention to your own thought process and your own psychology and how you your mental model of the world who you are and how you think and i think that that becomes your most valuable resource so that you can actually have the ability to choose who you are and how you think and who you hang out with and what you learn and what you do. And I think instead of all the cultural pressure being on you and you just sort of following suit just to sort of appease people, because there's a lot of pressure at 19, 20, Mm -hmm. to sort of do things just to sort of, like we said, you go to college because now people are off your back and you don't have to feel uncomfortable about saying, I don't know. So I think just learning how to push all that caring about what people think off to the side and start Mm -hmm. focusing in on like, who am I? What do I really want to do for the short little blip of time on the planet? Mm-hmm. You know, how do I really want to think? And when I look back at my life, do I really think I'd regret doing that or would I regret more not doing that? Mm-hmm. So just starting to pay attention to like how you think, I think that's that's something I wish I had known when I was 19 that I could even do that. Mm-hmm. I don't think I ever even knew that you could do that. Yeah, I don't think I knew that you could actually look at your own software program and throw a bunch of it in the garbage and take on a bunch of new software. Yeah. And, uh, think also just gratitude i think that if you can cultivate gratitude and a beginner mindset those are two superpowers mm-hmm. gratitude alleviates a lot of disease in the body and the mind you start to focus on what's already good what's already happening how lucky you are that's an amazing it's an amazing medicine yeah and uh 
starting to think about, yeah, I don't know, the, the, the wonder of life, awe and wonder and curiosity are actually medicine because it's like, go and explore, go learn, go read a book, go watch a YouTube video, go listen to a podcast, go meet somebody interesting and learn. Mm-hmm. And if you just did that while you were alive, if you just learn and stay open and have that beginner mindset, I think you, you, are, you lived a successful, good life. Because in learning all that, you're going to have so much more to offer. Mm-hmm. I think I told you I started listening to Wayne Dyer last year, mm-hmm. and he said something great that Wayne was, Dyer. have a mind that's open to everything and attached to nothing. Something it's along beautiful. those lines. That's from Buddhism, right? It's like non-attachment. Yeah, and... Yeah, and uh, and I got on like I got on like a six month just he was all I was listening to I don't remember you remember how I got um, awesome. connected with him, but a, a, a big question, you know, just hearing what you said and, and even and I think this is maybe something that you fell into when you were that start just getting started firefighter mm-hmm. or something you see now. Do you think that there's part of them that there is a reputation and and it's and it's a really a great reputation that firefighters have. You know, they are public servants. They are revered as like the top of the top as far as like the general public goes, you're, you're saving people, you're here to protect people. But there's also like a certain reputation um, uh, and maybe even a stereotype that comes with the job. Do you feel sometimes there's a, there's a, a battling that guys do that they, they feel like they have to fulfill the reputation of it because it's really distinct yeah. versus like, you know, if you're a CPA, mm-hmm. there's not really a, a reputation or a, a long running tradition. Yeah. Firefighting has a tradition and a culture and, sure. and, and a re- reputation. Do you feel like there's, maybe some battle that that goes on with upholding that reputation even if you're like man I, that's just not yeah entirely i think one thing that helped me early on was to not identify myself with it and not use that as my intro like mm. you know I, I remember when i was 23 it felt so cool sure i'm a fireman and now you wouldn't know what i did for a living if, if we didn't have that conversation mm-hmm. and i it's not that i'm not proud of it and that i'm thankful for it and it's actually provided me such an amazing life and i'm i'm so grateful that i did it i didn't choose it it sort of chose me in some weird way but i think clinging to the identity of being anything Mm -hmm. anything that you identify with can actually cause more harm than good you know identify Mm -hmm. with being a a human being on a planet in the middle of time and space and and to me identify more with that like wow i'm sort of a visitor here for Mm -hmm. a short period of time Mm -hmm. instead of like i'm i'm a this and i'm so much more than a fireman you know i'm a Mm -hmm. human being Mm -hmm. and that's something that's helpful i don't think it's good to identify with it because then you are trying to uphold this thing that's built upon a bunch of other people and reputation is somewhat important but it's mostly built around what people think of you and what people think of you is not within your control and nor should it be something that you care too much about and so i think it's better to focus on your character and who you actually are and Mm. people are going to like you and dislike you my friend howard told me like some people are going to stick to you like a duck on a June bug is what he said. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? He goes, some people are going to just be very attracted to your energy and who you are. And some people are going to think you're awful. Mm -hmm. He goes, who gives a shit? Do what you love. Mm -hmm. Stick to your, your path, you know, Mm -hmm. stay honest with yourself, stay humble. And so there's like certain things that I would rather identify with. And it's, it's modes of being. And it's like, imagine who you'd want to be in the future. And it's not like a person on the planet that's a certain job. It's more like a a mode of being. It's a Mm -hmm. character. It's a characteristic. It's an energetic thing. And so I don't identify as a fireman. It's a part of what I do, and I'm so grateful for it. But I don't bring it up in conversation at a a party or something. It's definitely not there. And you just wouldn't know I did it. If you came into my house, you wouldn't see a bunch of stuff around my house. And some guys do, and I think that's great. But I, I haven't had to deal with that too much, and I think it's helped me along the way. It's, pr- it's probably 
something that makes it even harder if because I to totally agree as mm -hmm. far as making it your identity it doesn't just that it's not ja just that job like any job right? yeah or any anything. job if, if that's your entire identity um eventually someday you're going to have to stop firefighting eventually someday sure. i'm going to have to stop doing whatever it's a small trade chapter in an infinite movie yeah and if that's if if you wrap every bit of your identity around it holy mm. shit is that transition going to be it's painful really i've seen painful. a guy recently that i love who spent his whole life passionate about it was good at it great mentor and he just retired month ago or something and it was before he left I had the opportunity to work with him and he'd had 36 or something years on I mean the guy had been on almost as long as I've been on the planet and it was becoming very scary for him to leave and that's yeah. happened to so many guys and I saw that pretty early on where I'm like wow if you don't cultivate hobbies and other things and other interests and start thinking about who you actually are outside of this it's going to be painful someday mm -hmm. when you lose it and I actually thought I was going to lose it with eight years on because I hurt my back really bad. I was told I was going to need surgery. I was told I may not be able to do the job. I was told I may not be able to lift weights anymore, all this stuff. So I thought, shit, what am I going to do? Yeah. And thankfully I found a way to cultivate healing and health and get myself right. And it taught me, it was a great teacher, but that was a good wake up call for me to realize like, don't make that yeah. all your eggs in one basket. That is not who you are. That's just one tiny thing. Totally. And so anyway, I, I don't think it's healthy to identify with too much. Mm. yeah <laughs> i agree man you got anything else over there that you wanted to inject in sorry man i started asking questions i mean we'd be here for another five hours so <laughs> yeah. yeah uh well hey man again fun, man thanks for taking yeah. time out of the vacation i know you yeah. probably would be uh walking on the beach right now no. but uh this was awesome is exactly what i expected this dude there's nothing better than having a podcast that it just runs itself where like i my hands are my hands are literally off the wheel it's my so first just, one so yeah a pleasure broke you in awesome <laughs> appreciate well, it pete all right everybody you know where to find this in the weeds.com go on there subscribe um and thanks for tuning in